Isn't it amazing that God kept his word and sent his son and that he came as he was promised to come to save us, to come to this world because of his great love for you and for me. And so we're going to continue today and we're going to look at a lovely story. When I first just read through this story, I just felt God's spirit just, just touched me. I believe there's something in this today that's going to inspire faith to rise and our talk is entitled, Will You Trust Jesus This Christmas? Because God wants it to be about now. Not about something that happened in your life 20 or 30 years ago, but about today. It's about this moment. And it's about every day as we approach the Christmas. And so we're going to put this question out. I believe God's challenged me about trusting about am I really trusting? I believe God's challenged me about what faith is. To trust is to have faith. To trust is to believe what God says in his word, that God's word is true, that Jesus Christ is the word of God, and what he says, the words that come out of his mouth, are true and faithful and so we're going to continue and we're going to just remind ourselves that last week we looked at this beautiful encounter that Jesus had with this woman at the well and at the very end of that story we read these words and I'm going to read them to you again this is John chapter uh, chapter 4 verse 42 after after this encounter with Jesus uh, and the woman went and told everyone about him. Let's just go back a little bit to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. Did you notice that she was testifying of the words that Jesus had spoken to her? He had told her things and she went and passed that on to her community. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged Jesus to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you have said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Saviour of the world. Now here's what struck me this week. That these people who weren't they weren't seen in the eyes of the Jewish people. The Samaritans were seen as being the lowest of the low. And yet it was these people, the Samaritans, that actually believed in Jesus without him performing a miracle or a sign. I think that's very interesting. And I think that must have really pleased the heart of God because they weren't looking for signs. They just believed his word. Believing his word was enough for them and a whole revival started in that community. And so we're going to continue on now and we're going to see that Jesus kept moving. He kept moving towards the cross, moving towards his mission, which was to go to the cross to die for you and for me. And it says in verse 43 of John chapter 4, Now after the two days, that's the two days he stayed with these Samaritans, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honour in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. So he's moved on, head up now. He's moved, you remember that Jerusalem's in the south of the country, and then you move upwards up north, 
towards Samaria, which is right in the centre. And then you go up again a bit further to get up to Galilee. So Jesus had made this long journey and had arrived in Galilee. And here's what it says in verse 46. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. Now I want to just stop there for a moment. Because we're going to remind ourselves of the first sign that Jesus did, which was, what was the first sign? to turn the water into wine and we're going to see the second sign today and we're going to connect these two signs together so they came to Cana of Galilee it says verse 46 where he had made the water into wine now here's the thing the first sign remember we said that the miracles that John and his gospel has selected seven different miracles and he calls these different miracles signs and uh, we're going to see that, we're going to remind ourselves of the sign that Jesus did when he turned the water into wine. Remember, uh, he, his mother had come and asked him, and he said, what are you asking me that for? Remember, he said, my hour is not yet come. And I wanted to remind you that Jesus was always conscious of the hour, the one hour that he was moving toward in his life. He was moving towards his mission to the hour of his death. His eye was constantly unmoving ever closer to the cross. His eye was always looking for that day when he would die for you and for me. That's the love of the Saviour. And he, he knew he was moving. And last week we challenged you about, about how God wants you and me to keep moving. God doesn't stand still. He's not a God who stands still or a God who slips back. He's a God who keeps moving in love and grace. And he's asking us and he's challenging us, are we willing to move with him? Are we willing to keep in step with where Jesus wants to take us? Are we willing to be women who have faith and are going to trust in Jesus? So he was moving ever closer to the hour when he would go to the cross to become the final sacrifice for sin remember there's no other sacrifice except what jesus did on the cross he died for your sin he paid the price sacrifice is over no more sacrifices needed to obtain salvation anything we do out of love for him is because we love him not to obtain salvation he's already paid that price and so we are reminded in john chapter 2 about this particular sign that he did when he changed the wine changed the water into wine and remember that at that wedding, remember whenever Jesus said, Mommy, my hour is not yet come. Remember Mary went back to him again and suppressed him again. The need that was, and do you remember what the words she spoke? She said to the servants, whatever he says unto you, do it. Now it's interesting because Jane and I have a wee conversation coming out most uh, Tuesday mornings. And it's always like any wee last things that we feel God's saying. And Jane happened to say to me this morning, did you, did you notice what, um, the, what the, we get a little lion bite um, uh, prophetic words sent to us? And she said, did you notice what lion bite said the other day? I'm going to read it to you. Stand on my word. We need to stand, not on our words or somebody else's words, but on God's words. Remember the power that resides in my word, especially when you speak it out. Every report of man comes under the word so stand on it and let it be your firm foundation you will not be shaken when you build your life upon the foundation of my words declare it over your family 
declare it over your finances, declare it over your health. Believe that my life is released when you partner with me and my word. Isaiah 55 and 11. Here's what God's word says. So shall, that's a good one for my list, I have to think about that. So shall, I used to say a wee thing whenever I was going to elocution, my mother sat me to try and overcome the list. Shall Sally sell shells? <laughs> so this is a bit like that. Shall Sally sell shells? So, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Psalm 107 says, He sent out his word and he healed them and delivered them from their destruction. I believe another translation says, delivered them from all their fears. Believe God wants us to know that. There was another little reading as well that Jane had also mentioned. I'm just going to give you the double dose. All right. Here's a double dose. Follow my lead. You sit wondering what you should do, what road you should take, and even doubt if you're hearing Father God correctly. I hear the Spirit of the Lord saying to you, you are hearing my voice. Trust me as I know what I'm doing in and through you. If you listen and do what I say, then you will see the fulfilment of my promises to you. The road ahead seems strange, even ridiculous to you, but Father says, take the road I'm pointing out, the road less travelled, the road where you and I walk hand in hand and you follow my lead. Others would say you're mad or you can't be hearing right, but I'm saying trust me and follow my plan for it is the best plan. And here's the verse. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they hear his voice. Yeah. Listen, you belong to Jesus. You know, you will hear his voice. And here's the final one. And this is what Jane brought to my mind this morning. John chapter 2, verse 5. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. That's the best advice that we can give to you this morning. That God is to be counted faithful he's a faithful God and so the interesting thing is that Mary valued the words that came out of Jesus mouth and she said whatever he says to you in other words whatever his word is just do it and so that was how the first sign was performed that was how Jesus changed the water into wine it was by speaking out to the, to the servants what to do here's Jane in now after all my uh, declaring your words and reading them out Jane this morning from uh, Lion Bites and so remember that when Jesus speaks the word the servants did what he told them and the water was changed into wine now here's a little quote that I got from a commentary by David Lowe it says throughout his gospel John shares seven signs that, that Jesus performs each revealing something significant about Jesus' identity and his mission. Early in the story, Jesus turns water into wine, and not just wine, but the best wine in vast quantities, revealing the profound abundance of Jesus, of God in Jesus, what is earlier described as grace upon grace. You know, I would love you to catch this. When Jesus did this first sign, I know we're kind of going back, but we're going back to go forward, all right? When he performed that first sign by changing the water into wine, 
he, he made an abundant amount of wine. If you actually look at the, the size and how many gallons these containers held, it was massive. Now, these people must have been quite poor when they ran out of wine. Well, do you know they could have sold that wine to make much money? Because God's always working for provision. He, he didn't let them be ashamed at the wedding. He provided what they needed. He will not allow you to be ashamed. He will provide for you. You keep trusting him and trusting his word. But you know, the vastness and the abundance of wine that he made is a beautiful picture of the heart of God in his abundant generosity. Because God doesn't do things in a skimpy way. God is not a, a, a God who is reluctant to bless you. He's not a God who is scarce on, on grace. He's a God who wants to bless us abundantly in salvation and in every other need that we have in our lives. He wants to give us the best. And, and I just loved what this quote said, that the amount and the, the, the profound abundance of this wine is a beautiful it's a beautiful picture of the grace of God and the abundance that, of grace that God has for your life. And in John uh, chapter 1 verses 14 to 16, it says, that John writes, we beheld, in other words, we, we looked at, we looked at his glory and he was full of grace and truth. God's reservoir of grace is unfathomable. We can't get to the bottom of his grace. And in verse 16 of chapter 1, it says, of his, this is what John wrote, of his fullness, or another word is of his abundance, we have all received grace upon grace. There is a never-ending supply. The wine, the abundance of wine was just a little picture of the abundance of God's goodness and grace towards us that will never run out. That God has a reservoir that's too deep for us to empty it. But here's the thing, and we're going to move into this next sign now. Here's the thing. Jesus was looking for someone to believe in him without having to be shown a sign. And that's the question I put to you today. Are you willing to believe Jesus without him doing some extraordinary sign that's going to prove to you who he is? Are you willing just to have faith in him because he is Jesus Christ the Lord? Are you willing to have faith in him just because of who he is and of his character? That he is Christ the Lord. That he is the Son of God. The beginning and the ending, the Oma and the Alpha and the Omega, are we willing, are all of us willing to believe him and take him at his word? Are we constantly looking for signs? I believe we please God's heart when we simply believe. And so let's continue to read what happened in this next story. It says, So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water into wine, and there was a certain noble man whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. And the nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. 
Now, this is referred to in this translation as a nobleman. Your translation might refer to him as a royal officer. We actually believe he probably was an officer that who was in some form employed or doing something in the household of Herod, who was ruling up in that Galilean area. And so this was an officer who came with a specific request. Capernaum was about 20 miles away from Cana. So this man had made a long journey to get there, and he came asking Jesus to heal his son. Now, I wrote in your notes here, it seems like the nobleman was convinced that Jesus needed to be personally present if he was going to be able to heal his son. We kind of get that feeling, come with me and heal my son. So it seems that he he did have a certain amount of faith because he did travel like about 20 miles to get to Cana. And and it seems like he had confidence that if he could just get Jesus to his son, that he would be able to heal him. Uh, And it's possible that the other people around there, we read earlier in 45 about many people coming to Galilee because they'd they'd seen what he had done uh, down in Jerusalem at the feast. So it's possible that there was a lot of people clamouring for signs. It seems like it's quite possible a lot of people were, were looking, you know, do something spectacular so we can decide whether we're going to believe in you or not. That's the kind of the background that we, we sense here. But, you see, we've just said that we know that Jesus was longing for someone to believe him without a sign. And I believe that it, it almost looks as if the words that he spoke to this man that could nearly be seen as a wee bit harsh, It says, verse 38, Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. That sort of sounds a wee bit, doesn't it? This man's son's very ill. But you see, I believe that Jesus was trying to call up a greater faith. I believe he was challenging this man in his hour of need to say, Would you just believe me without a sign? I believe he was actually wanting this man to step up and believe him. I wrote in your notes, Jesus was inviting this officer to move from a weak faith to a strong faith. And I believe today that he is inviting you to do the same. And as we move now forward into the next season, I believe God is certainly challenging me about my faith. When I'm praying, I just felt God said, are you really believing and expecting to see me moving in that situation? I was talking to my brother yesterday, he was up in Inniskillen yesterday morning, and one of my brothers was saying that he was talking to uh, a well-known leader in Northern Ireland, and uh, this man looked at him and he says, he put his finger out and he said, faith means taking God seriously. That's what faith means, taking God seriously. And this particular man started to share about how in in two different occasions in his life he had encounters with angels. We need to believe that God's real. And you know, my brother afterwards prayed for me, I would have an encounter with an angel, and I'm going, amen, yes. I would love to have an encounter with a real angel, wouldn't you? Listen, angels are real. We had a prayer meeting in here a couple of Tuesday nights ago, and, and there was a real sense there were angels in this room. We really sense the presence of angels. Listen, we need to wake up and start to believe that God says that the angels are here around us to help us. They help Jesus and they're here. The Bible says they're here to help the earth of salvation and that's you and me. They're around, they're beside us when we need them. I remember Joyce Mare saying about how she was standing preaching on one occasion and somebody in the congregation saw two mighty angels standing behind her. 
Give us eyes to see, Lord, into the unseen realm. I'm believing 2020. 2020 vision. Could we start to see a few angels in 2020? Let's believe that God would show us. And you know what? Even greater than the angels. Wouldn't it be amazing if 2020 we saw Jesus breaking through the clouds? He's coming back. Like, let's say, come, Lord Jesus. He's coming back. He's real. He's a real God. There's a real supernatural world. The unseen realm is far more real and it's going to last forever. It's far more real than what we see in the natural. Oh, if we could just get be awakened to that. And so we need to really challenge ourselves. Do we believe God when we pray? You see, Jesus was one with his father and he walked through this life totally dependent on his father. He was one with the father. And he brought everything to the Father. And he, when the Father spoke to him, he believed. And he spoke that out. And you see, there's, we, need to, we need to actually do the same. Julie Hewitt had, had sent this and written this and sent it. And I thought it was so beautiful, I have to read it. You may not think that Jesus' trust in the Father was so very remarkable. We just think, oh, well, of course, Jesus would trust his Father. But listen, after all, this was Jesus It is inconceivable to think that the father would allow anything outside his will to happen to his son. But when it comes to our own lives, however, we sometimes find it hard to trust God. Why? Why can we not have the same abandonment and surrender to God the Father as Jesus did? The truth is, and brace yourself for this, you have the same father as Jesus. Now, isn't that amazing? You have the same father of Jesus. The one who watched over Jesus is the same one who watches over you. Emptying ourselves and releasing control to Father God may feel scary, but it is actually the safest thing we can do. It doesn't mean we are shielded from all the pain, because Jesus wasn't. But it does mean that the Father provides everything we need, just as he did for Jesus. So as you think about the birth of Jesus this season and how he lived his life with complete trust in the Father, think about how you can do the same. Jesus said, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Thank you, Julie, Hewitt, for those words. They are so beautiful, aren't they? And God wants us to waken up, that we are to walk in complete trust and oneness with the Father. And of course we'll sin and we'll get things wrong because we all do because we're human. But you know what? We can very quickly confess our sin and we can bring it into the light before Jesus and we can be cleansed immediately from that sin and we can continue to walk in that oneness with God himself. That's the lifestyle that God wants us to experience. And so we see that uh, this, uh, this man was asking Jesus and even when Jesus said to him it's interesting those words that Jesus spoke that I read to you that sounded a little bit harsh they can actually be translated simply will you not believe that's really what he was saying will you not believe and I believe he's putting out the same question what situation are you in today what's going on in your life here's what I'm going to challenge you with will you not believe God will you not believe that he can do more and better than what you would expect that he knows better than you do what the answer is to that situation that's the challenge and here's what happened in john chapter 4 let's look at verse uh, 49 and and, and, uh, 15 a few verses verse 49 the nobleman said to jesus sir come down before my child dies and jesus said to him 
Go your way. Your son lives. Do you hear the word going out? Go your way. In other words, get moving. Start moving. Your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke and he went his way. Do you see the connection? You believe what God says and then you step out in faith to believe. You see, the little book of James says that, I'm going to read this in the message, you can, you can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you your faith apart from your works. They both go together. There's no point in saying, well, I'll believe God, but I'm going to lie back here and I'm not going to do what he tells me to do. There's a stepping out in obedience. When God gives us his word, he usually gives us a word of direction to keep moving in faith. And there's a stepping out. And I love this because this, this officer, this um, royal officer, believed that Jesus, what Jesus said was true, that his son was going to be healed. And he stepped out on the road home to go and save Faith without works is dead, the Bible says. We have to believe and we have to move. And John 14 and 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandment. There's an obedience. I see so many people who, who want God to do all kinds of miracles, but they don't want to do the obedience. They don't want to do their part. They don't want to step out in obedience. There's a stepping out. There's a keeping, uh, there's a, there's a keeping of God's commandments and a fear of God and moving in faith. The noble man believed the word and he moved in faith. Now let's continue to read here. It says in verse verse uh, fifty one. And as he was now going, this is this is the noble man. As he was now going home, his servants met him and told him, saying, "Your son lives." Then he inquired of them the hour when his son got better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew it was the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This again is the second sign that Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Isn't it interesting that both of these signs were in the same place in this little place called Galilee? John records this was the second sign that Jesus did. And I wrote in your notes, both signs were accomplished through the word that Jesus spoke. He just simply said to this man, go on home, your son lives. And this officer believed and immediately set out for home. You see, we need to just remind ourselves for a moment that Jesus himself, his name is the Word. And remember that John chapter 1, the very first thing we talked about in this particular series from the Gospel of John, was in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And then further down verse 14 in chapter 1 it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Imagine meeting Jesus in flesh. Imagine looking into the eyes of Jesus, God in flesh. I mean, that, that would blow your mind. Looking into the eyes of Jesus was looking into the eyes of God, who, who, was, who, 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 who's, who lived before time began, going back into eternity past, that you can't go back. We can't go back to the beginning and we can't go forward to the end because God is and he is eternal. 
and he limited himself to come and to come into the body of a man and he came and humbled himself and actually came to a virgin's womb. Isn't that incredible? That God would choose to send his son to come into the womb of a virgin and come to this earth. Now here's the thing. I wonder who this officer was. Now I read this this week and I've never actually ever thought of this before. So pick up your ears. I don't know if this is right or not, but I think this could be true. This is a royal officer who uh, comes from the Capernaum area, which is quite close to where Herod, so he probably worked for Herod. And in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, let me just read these to you. Um, let me just read these to you. Luke chapter uh, 3, Luke chapter 8. Just, excuse me, was to just get this place. Because there was a band of women who followed Jesus. And if you read through the Gospels, you'll come across these women on different occasions. And it seems that they were constantly following Jesus. And there were women who ministered to Jesus. And there were women who uh, were actually, if you read some of the uh, some of the places, you'll see that they were actually around uh, after Jesus died, around the, the, the garden where he was buried. And in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 and 3, if I can just find the verse 8, here we are. Now it came to pass afterwards that Jesus went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. So we know that the twelve disciples were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. So we know that Mary followed him. We know she was one of them. Now here, listen to this. And Joanna, the wife of Shusa, Herod's steward. Now here's the question. Could this woman who was part of the little group of women who followed Jesus, could this have been the wife of this royal officer who worked for Herod? I mean, think about it. If this was her son who was on the point of death and Jesus had spoken the word and said, your son shall live, wouldn't it stand to reason that this woman would just pack her stuff up and say, do you know what, I'm going to go and see this man? Wouldn't it just be possible that she would be so enthralled that she started to become one of his followers? Do you know what? Sometimes we, we aren't told these things, but, and I'm, I'm only speculating, I don't have any word or chapter or verse to say that's true, but it's a possibility, isn't it? And one of the translators, I think it's Elliot's commentary, actually says it's not improbable. Not improbable. This woman, why would she not follow the one who had given life to her son? But here's the question I want to ask you. Why would you not follow him? for all that he's done for you? Why would you not follow him, fully follow him? Why would you not abandon yourself completely and follow him for all that he has done for you? We owe him everything. He's the one who saved us. He's the one who forgives us constantly. And I just wrote here uh, in your notes, are you really following Jesus? Because he's still calling you to follow him. He wants you and he wants me to be part of his mission to see his kingdom come. Will you trust God fully without more signs?
Will you just trust him and take him at his word? Luke 18 and 8 says, When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? He's looking to see if anybody really has faith, if anybody really believes what he says. He's still looking for true worshippers. Are you a true worshipper? Remember he said to the woman at the well, God the Father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. God's looking for worshippers. He's looking for faith. He's looking for you and for me to trust him. Now here's something I just wrote in here and I'm going to read it out. Jesus himself is the greatest sign. The fact that Jesus came to this earth is the greatest sign that we will ever need to know of his love and to actually start to trust him and put our faith into action to start to really live for him. He's the greatest sign. And at this Christmas we remember that he came to this world in fulfilment of what was written about him in the Old Testament. And I just couldn't get away from this verse in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Listen to this verse. This shall be a sign unto you. A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us the greatest sign that we'll ever need has already been completed the sign that a virgin would bring forth a son and he would be called Emmanuel God with us so as we look to this word and we now want to gather that story and the principles of that story that God's word is to be taken seriously that he wants us to have faith in him that he wants us to move in faith not to go back into unbelief, not to stand still and be paralyzed with fear, but to take God at his word and step out, moving forward, believing God for all that he's calling us forth for. As we, as we trust God, let's, let's apply all of these truths to Christmas time. Let's apply it to now, today. And as we move up to Christmas and the new, new year, let's reevaluate our hearts and ask ourselves, are we really trusting God? Are, do we really have faith that he's listening and that he, that he can move and that he can do absolutely anything? This man believed when Jesus said, go home, your son lives, he believed that Jesus, even though he wasn't there, he believed that what God said was true, what Jesus said was true. He went home and he met his servants and when he asked them, his son had been healed at the very moment that Jesus spoke the word. You know, sometimes we don't see the answer to our prayers immediately. But when Jesus speaks the word, we can know that it will happen. Whether it's right now or further down, once the word was out of the, the lips of Jesus, it's going to come to pass. Remember, Daniel had to wait because there was a war in heaven. The enemies were holding back. God's word had been spoken at the moment that he prayed. And so sometimes it doesn't happen immediately. But we should be praising God and thanking him that he's bringing forth his answers and he knows the best answer better than you do because he knows more than you do about that situation. And if you're thinking, I want this like a little child and you're stamping your foot, you know, I want it and I want it now. That's not the attitude. That's not what faith is. Faith says, you know what, God, I know you know more about this than I do, so I'm trusting you to work this out. And I believe you will work it out. So I'm praising you for the answer, whatever that is, because you know best. That's faith. That's taking God seriously. That's believing that God is the I am and he knows more than you do. How dare we as the creator? How dare we as the dust of the earth come and say, do it? 
do it or else. That's not faith. That's childishness. God wants us to move up into maturity and say, God, I trust you. Trust you with it all. Trust you to do what's right. And I will praise you and know that you will bring it to pass because you're a God who can be trusted. And so my question to you is, why not trust the word? Jesus, the word. Why not trust the word that Jesus speaks this Christmas? Why not trust him fully? His name is the word of God. Whatever season of life you find yourself in this Christmas, there is a call for faith. Whether in a season of turmoil and stress or of peace and prosperity, Jesus still calls us to believe in him and to step out in faith and follow him. And here's something to think about. As we move towards 2020, we must decide. Now listen, ladies, we must decide if we're going to believe him. It's a decision. It's a choice. We must decide if we're going to trust him or if we're not going to trust him. We've got to make that decision. And we've got to move out in every situation. We've got to move in obedience. You know, as I look back on my life and I see, I'm sort of trying to visualise myself as a child and remembering that moment as an eight-year-old, and I remember it well, that moment where I just asked Jesus to be my saviour. You know, I had to, when I received him as saviour, I had to then, I had to start speaking out. I had to start telling somebody that I had trusted Jesus. I had to believe that he had come in to live in my heart and had forgiven my sins. And I did that as a little child by saying, I'm, I've just asked Jesus to save me. And I belong to Jesus now. He's in my heart. That was a step of faith. That was a moving into what I believed God had done. We couldn't see it. We couldn't see that it had happened. But by faith we received Jesus as Saviour and Lord. And then we begin to tell people and we begin to live in that knowledge. And the word of God, Jesus is the word. And I remember even as a little eight-year-old, I remember God's word stirring my heart. Can you, I mean, can you imagine that? An eight-year-old? I can still remember the impact that God's word had on my heart. And there's a love that's put in us at that moment of having faith for salvation. But life continues. I remember when as a 12-year-old, when my mother died, I can remember God's presence and remember having faith to believe that he would be with me. It's in the dark times that we've got to have faith. I can remember that time. I can remember moving forward to believe. When my grandmother was broken hearted and left our family because my father was going to remarry, I can remember God coming and that sense of his presence and stepping out, going back to school after my mother's death, trusting Jesus to move forward. And we've all got to do it because we all go through dark patches. We all go through hard times. We all go through challenges and the enemy does not want us to keep moving. He wants us to stop and he wants us actually to turn away from God and turn into unbelief. He doesn't want us to keep going forward in faith because the enemy wants to stop you. He wants to destroy you. I was talking just to a lovely young lady just yesterday evening and that was a challenge. Are you going to keep moving forward? Are you going to stop believing and allow anger and bitterness to build up? Because bitterness will rust you up so much you can't even move. Wizard of Oz. Remember the tin man? If he got rusted, how was he going to move? If you, if you don't trust God and you start getting angry and, and because he's not doing it exactly the way you think it should be done, 
you're going to actually become angry with God, discontent, and that's going to turn into bitterness, and you get so rusted up, you, be, you can't walk with God because you're so, and you get so full of turmoil. It's exactly where the enemy wants you because he wants to destroy you. He wants you to be so full of rust that you can't move forward. And bitterness is rust. And so I'm challenging you today. Are you going to believe? Are you going to let the Holy Spirit come and lubricate you? Get rid of all that rust. Get that rust out of the way. Get those muscles going, those legs moving. <laughs> You've got to start moving in faith. Believing. Believing God. Are you going to believe God this Christmas? Are you going to believe God for next year, for whatever it brings? Are you going to trust him? It's like this nobleman. Jesus spoke the word, but he had to get up and go home and believe it was going to happen. And sure enough, on the way, when did it happen? The very moment that Jesus spoke the word. When I read that, it touched my heart. It just blessed my soul. And you see, I can look back to other times. I can remember as a teenager having to leave this part of the world and move up to living in a school. I can remember those times, everything new. remember having to go down to Belfast to start as a student. remember having later on going to work. All of those times, Jesus is with you in the mundane. He's with you in the crises. He's with you every moment of the way. And all he's asking you to do is, will you trust me? Will you believe me that I love you? Surely he has given the greatest sign that it's possible to give when he came as a baby in his mother's womb and came to this world with one purpose in mind to move towards that hour when he would hang on that cross and take your sins and mine in his own body. Not only to bring us to heaven, but to cleanse us and to even give us, even to give us healing as we go through this life by his stripes. We are healed. He wants to be part of the healing in our lives. He wants to see us set free. He died to set you free. He died to do a work in you here and now. Waste your life. And then one day he's going to bring you in. He's going to introduce you to heaven. He's going to bring you to that mansion that he has fully purposed. Purpose for you. One of those turnkey jobs. (laughs) Everything just right just right for you because he knows you and he has walked with you I actually believe when we when we actually have that face to face with Jesus I here's what I think now not doesn't don't get this from the Bible here's what I think I think you know the way you can have a movie and you can see a video and you can replay a video and you can look back and see something that happened in your earlier life I believe that God has us all see the the scientists discovered that but God knows all. God has far greater videos than, than scientists know nothing. I think he is our whole life on a scroll. And I think in a moment we will see it all. And we will see that he walked with us faithfully. Every moment of, of the way. And that whole story about walking, remember in the footprints? That's the truth. Those times when we thought he wasn't with us. He was carrying us. Listen folks. Raise your level of faith. Jesus spoke to this, this nobleman, this officer, and he was, he was trying to get him to have a stronger faith, to believe that he didn't actually, Jesus didn't need to go to Capernaum. Jesus could speak the word and it would happen right there and then. And he wants us to rise up in faith and to begin to pray for others with authority and pray for our own situations and speak his word over situations and declare and praise him and thank him 
giving thanks in all things. One of the greatest secrets in my life is even the bad things. I stand and I choose. Now, you don't always feel like doing it, but the things that you don't like, start thanking God for them. And I have to confess, yesterday, there was something, there was nearly a chance yesterday we weren't going to get to Fort Aventura tomorrow. And I have to confess, I got into a bit of a tizzy. I have to just confess. Jane said, you better just confess that. And afterwards, I was a bit rebuked, and I thought, Lord, here I am going to be preaching about standing up on faith and getting a bit into a tizzy. But you know what? In those moments, whenever stuff comes that we don't like, we can give thanks. Because even if we didn't go to Fort Aventura tomorrow, do you know what? God would still be faithful. Thank you, Lord, for whatever. And you know, when we start to thank him for the things we don't like, he changes our attitudes towards those things. He does a work in us. And so we just got to thank him and praise him in all things. Father, thank you that you're faithful. Thank you that you sent your son. Thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us. Thank you for the promises of your word that we can stand upon. And thank you today that you are here, that your angels are here. We thank you, God, that your presence will go with each of us as we go out this door. And we thank you that over Christmas that you will be with us. And we thank you as we move into 2020, we know that you will be with us because you promised that you will. And Lord, we pray that we will see you more clearly and hear you more clearly. And Lord, we even long that 2020 would be the year that you will come back. Come to the clouds. Lord, we say, even so, come. Jerry just wants to, sh- to share something with you before we go. And uh, after Jerry shares, uh, anyone who wants prayer, please come up, we'll pray for you and agree with you. Thank you. Um, I, I just can't get the word multiplication. The word multiplication has been in my heart uh, on the way in and right throughout the service, uh, right throughout morning speaking. And I feel I need to just share up the, the song I was listening to was talking about God multiplying his grace more and more to us. And I was just thanking God for his grace. Uh, and how there's a multiplication of, of his grace in our lives as we as we grow and mature in him. And then when, when Maureen was just sharing about the monies that have been brought in, I just thought, you know, some of us ladies might think giving a fiver or a tenner or twenty pound isn't very much, but when it all comes together, it was nearly two thousand pounds. And God can bless four different ministries through that. And he can then take it multiply. It made me think of the little boy. All he brought was five loaves and two fishes. But he had the faith to believe that Jesus could use it. And even when Maureen was speaking, I just thought some of us might think our level of faith isn't great. But you know, when we put our faith in the one who can multiply, let's do it. Little and many, little and many of us are here. We start praying in faith to the one who can multiply. How could our nation, I'm not just talking about our families and our communities, how could our nation be blessed if we just put our faith in this God that Maureen has been talking to us about? I just want to encourage you with that. If you think that your faith isn't 
uh, a lot. Just putting that faith in the one who can raise a little boy to life just by speaking the words. Let us speak out the word of the Lord into situations and see God multiply, multiply the blessing in Jesus.